One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. It began with one man. Five years ago, Colin Kaepernick, a black American footballer, refused to stand during the playing of the national anthem. He is expected to kneel once again and protest to what he says are social injustices to African-Americans. Kneeling during the playing of our national anthem, I think is disgraceful. It divided a nation. But as the tally of black victims of police brutality grew, so did the poignancy of the gesture. In 2020, after the killing of George Floyd, People and players all over the world began to take the knee. I think they're just sick and tired of football having been hijacked by the Black Lives Matter ideology. Uh, so how important is this gesture? Do you need to take a knee to show solidarity? The controversy has continued. As England faced the Czech Republic in the Euros tonight, football is suddenly at the heart of the culture war. They've been booed and criticised, but the England team insists they'll begin the match by taking the knee. A former footballer tells us why it matters so much to the players. This conversation about taking the knee, it is about these men not standing for racist abuse in our game and in society anymore. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, should footballers take the knee? My name's Clark Carlisle, a former professional footballer, a mantle that I don't think any human can ever get away from, no matter what they move into. For 17 years, Clark was one of the most high-profile black players in English football, playing for teams like Queen's Park Rangers, Leeds United, Watford and Burnley. He even represented England on the football pitch. After retiring in 2013, he became the chairman of the PFA, the Professional Footballers Association. A very blessed four years, and since then I went into commentary with ITV. And now I'm a mental health advocate and consultant with my wife, and and we talk about mental health support structures and mechanisms within the workplace. That's pretty impressive, and not just the footballing part. Clark, I want to take you back. Everybody in this country, I think, stopped and watched England playing again. We're back at the Euros, which is always such a great national moment. We watched the team all together taking the knee. What was that moment like for you watching them? What was going through your head? When the team's coming out, you see everyone warming up and, and, and there is an element of, oh, will they, won't they? Will they, won't they? 
it was a relief, you know, it was delight. It was delight that they took the knee. And probably a, a, a little bit of vicarious pride as well, because it wasn't a simple action for them to undertake, considering the debate and the rhetoric that had gone on before. There was some some serious, serious pride in me on behalf uh, of those young men. Well, Clark, take me back to your own life. You know, what was the first time you can remember experiencing racism? I grew up in a Caucasian neighbourhood, uh, council estate. I went to a, a predominantly Caucasian school. The incredible thing is, even when I look back forensically, I experience little or no racism at school. I only remember one incident with a young lad, but he he said something to me, it infuriated me, and I chased him for 45 minutes around the field. (laughs) I ended up catching him in a hockey goal, and we were both absolutely shattered, so tired that we couldn't even fight when we got to the end. Uh, But I think the statement was made with that action that what he said wasn't acceptable and nothing was ever said further. While Clark was mostly shielded from racism as a child, it wasn't until many years later that he found out his father, Mervyn, a semi-professional footballer, had experienced a very different world. Dad was able to shelter us as children from the extent of what was happening to him on a daily basis. I feel so sad for my dad. For what he went through. We're not just talking about him as a footballer. You know, in the late 70s, early 80s, Dad had to fight people physically in the street to be with my mum. Wow. My dad walked into a pub for the first time, 17 years of age, and someone immediately came from another pub glassed him on the back of the head and pulled out a knife to stab him. Oh. And it was only because the people in that pub were actually some of the guys who Dad had grown up with that they stopped this guy. I I can't even compute that. Many, many black men who played in that era, when they went on that pitch, they were free They were able to show their quality and their expertise in a way that would be unfettered and no one could stop them. And Dad was absolutely brilliant. Oh, he went for he went for England trials, Manvin. He went from England trials as a schoolboy, he's a young man, 15 years old. Hmm. His team won 3-0. My old man scored a hat-trick. And When they named the guys who who were going to be selected afterwards, Dad's name wasn't on the list. He was the only black guy on the pitch. This guy was the best player on the park. And the England selector said, he's just not the type of player we're looking for. He was deprived of a, a future and an opportunity that he deserved It was a a life and a career that was continually stunted because he was a six-foot-four imposing black man. He clearly faced racism from some of the selection processes. He didn't have the opportunities you had. When he was playing, what was it like in, in his day? Dad would get 
direct abuse. People would kick him in the air on the pitch and they would call him all the names under the sun. Oh, you'd hear them all, black bastard, you know, you what? The abuse was all around you, Carl. Yeah. And it used to upset me. That's Mervyn describing what life had been like for him as a footballer in a BBC documentary in 2012. The racism he experienced didn't just come from the crowds of spectators. It was the coaches and the managers of, of, the, of the opposition's team who would openly stand there and say, kick that And it was accepted. Wow. Stop that would be hollered across a park pitch in front of kids and, and families who are watching. And that was all right. Dad was expected to just take it. And the ref could hear this. My coaches who were with me could hear it, but nobody did a thing. If they didn't conform, they wouldn't be able to play the game that they loved. They just had to accept it and get on with it. For Clark, like his father, racism became real when he became a footballer for Blackpool at the age of 16. Actually, the greatest amount of racism that I experienced in, in my career was in the dressing room. I'm talking 1996, I went into Blackpool. I'm a 16-year-old lad. I'm desperate to become a professional footballer. You're in a group of grown men who are the epitome of what you want to be. Yeah. You want to emulate them. So when I'm going into the dressing room, I'm, I'm cleaning boots and I'm collecting the kit because that's what apprentices do. And a coach comes in and he throws you a banana and he says, yeah, and keep your socks on this time. And all of the senior players laugh. As a young player, you're sheepish in that moment. That You have no recourse. You, you can't answer back. You just put your head down, grab the kit and get out of the room. And what strikes you is that it's not just all of the Caucasian players laugh. All of the players laugh. Given that you're, you're so young, you're in an environment where you want to be liked, you want to be accepted. I mean, did you find yourself having to laugh at, at racist jokes? You've hit the nail on the head. Uh, as a young player, you need to be accepted. You need to be liked, not only by the senior players, because they're influential, but especially by the coaches and the management team. Yeah. External validation was the single most important factor of your daily work. Not only did it mean that I laughed along with them, but also my lack of understanding at that time as a young man of the depth of the issue of racism. It led to me actually being a, an instigator of jokes along these lines as I went through my career, because it wasn't just black versus white. There was xenophobic elements. I, I remember we'd be split into teams and it would be the English lads, the jocks and the blacks. These were the three different teams that would play each other at the training ground. I, I carried that on with me th throughout my career accepting these jokes, actually starting them myself until such a point that I actually got involved with the PFA and started to become educated and aware about how my actions were actually complicit in the perpetuation of discrimination within the game. That sounds so hard. Clark, I mean, looking back at that, clearly a lot has changed already. It's hard to tell whether it's 
the world of football that changed or actually society changed so much in that period. What do you think the situation is like now for footballers? The situation for footballers has gotten worse and it's gotten worse because of social media. We came through a period where fantastic initiatives like Kick Racism Out of Football, which became Kick It Out and Show Racing the Red Card and the work of the PFA, especially through the late 80s, early 90s. They confronted this issue. Nowadays, social media gives an individual direct and faceless access to virtually anyone in the world. The extent of that interaction can be 24-7. You know, it's not restricted to 90 minutes on a Saturday or a Tuesday night anymore. There's almost been a, a backward step in the level of vitriolic and overt abuse that they're experiencing. The progress that we believed we'd made was nothing to do with education and changing minds. Mm-hmm. It was only to do with suppressing voices. As you say, things have been getting worse over the last few years. With that as a backdrop, we we suddenly saw Colin Kaepernick in, in America taking the knee for the first time. How did taking the knee begin as a gesture? And what did you, as a, a former player here in Britain, what did you think when you first saw it? You're expected to stand for the national anthem in America. San Francisco 49ers quarterback Colin Kaepernick refusing to stand during the national anthem. And what he did was an act of visible direct protest to a situation that was going on in his country, in his society. There's a lot of things that need to change. Uh, one, One specifically is police brutality. There's people being murdered unjustly and not being held accountable. I thought it was incredibly powerful. I didn't for one second think that, oh, that's something that's going to sweep across community and a nation and a world. What did you think when it did suddenly start to spread, when it was suddenly being done here? I'm very cynical about people paying lip service to issues. There was an initial cynicism within me about what it was being reappropriated for. When it comes to football in particular, I was very, very relieved to see the statements that accompanied the action, Mm. and especially from the England team and Gareth Southgate. We're all trying to move for equality, move for supporting our own teammates, some of the experiences they have been through in their lives. It's really interesting the way you described that sense of tokenism, because a lot of the criticism for players taking the knee and a lot of the booing from the fans has come because people think this is an empty gesture. And it's also bringing politics into football. Football is the place they go to escape the world. They don't want to be encountering it there. What do you make of that? I believe that there's a portion of the fans who are booing who are misunderstanding what the action of taking the knee is about. And what I've seen of those, Manveen, is that they're born out of either the the belief that it is a political gesture and that that has no place in the game, or they believe that, oh, this gesture has run its course and can't you let it go now? Yeah, what do you make of that? When we talk about people, because of the 24-hour-a-day intrusive nature of social media, who are receiving these threats, these 
vitriolic and abusive messages into their home while they're sat with their family, while they're sat eating dinner and someone has the audacity to say, I'm tired of this now. Please, if there was just one way in which you could get somebody to live the life of someone who's experiencing consistent vitriolic racial abuse, then I think that attitudes would change. And it's not just the racist threats and abuse they receive that makes footballers want to keep taking the knee. What's harder to convey to people is the nuanced way in which racism still exists in society. When it is an, in that really covert, subversive way that people aren't afforded opportunities to gain employment, where people in employment aren't afforded the same opportunities to progress in that employment, like their Caucasian counterparts, when you go to a shop and a security guard tails you throughout your entire visit, for no other reason than, than you're a black man who's six foot tall and is wearing a jogging suit. When you're pulled over by the police because it's 2am in the morning and you're driving a very nice car late at night, sir. These covert incidents of racial prejudice and discrimination, they're like death by a thousand cuts. Mm. Football is made up of members of our society. And the issues that are in football are societal issues. We have to address these things as a community of human beings up and down every country. The thing about football is that it is a very powerful vehicle to convey messages and principles. And that has to be utilised in a greater way by the industry. This conversation about taking the knee, it is about these men not standing for racist abuse in our game and in society anymore. People have criticised footballers for politicising the game. But what about the politicians who are suddenly wading into the world of football? We'll have more from Clark in just a moment. First, a message from the editor. Hi, Poppy Damon here, the editor of the Stories of Our Times podcast. The news, the views, the analysis, the investigations, the exclusives, the interviews and the business. Get more of the Times and the Sunday Times for less with 50% off a digital subscription for six months. Sale now on ends June 29th. Subscribe today at thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program. How has football found itself on the front line of a political culture war? What began as players standing up against the racist abuse they faced or their colleagues faced and the racism that still existed in society suddenly unleashed a torrent of anger. Booing and cheering from crowds at matches, a firestorm across social media and every chat show host and public figure straining to shout their opinion louder. And then the politicians waded in just don't support, you know, people participating in that type of gesture, gesture politics to a certain extent as well. It's all well to support a cause and make your voices heard. But actually, quite frankly, and we saw last year in particular with some of the, the protests that took place, I speak now very much from what I saw in the impact on policing. It was devastating. They are supposed to be representative of their communities and of us as a society. And it's their comments and choices that are actually affecting our daily lives in the context of policy and regulation. I've got to say on this taking the knee thing, I don't know, maybe it's got a broader history, but it seems to be taken from the Game of Thrones. Take the knee for two people, the Queen and, and the Mrs. when I said to marry That is part of what I find most disheartening about this entire thing, because they are the ones who need to hear the message louder than most. I mean, even some of the players have sort of criticised it recently. Um, you know, Les Ferdinand has said it's little more than PR. It does make it sound like an empty gesture. What do you, what do you say to that? What Les was alluding to was the hypocrisy of the FA. They are the national governing body. And they have done nothing about this issue for decades that has governed it with regards those who are purveyors of the game underneath their care. That's what Les is talking about. And further down that conversation, Les said he would have done it himself were he still playing. Hmm. There will be some some in individuals who don't want to take the knee, and that's okay. To take the knee or not doesn't mean that you are racist or you're not racist. It's a personal opinion on that specific action. 
That action is representing that there is an ongoing fight against racism and discrimination and those who they don't they don't only hold the power but they hold the responsibility for those who play the game and watch the game and they are not exercising their duties with regards to those responsibilities. And as you say, it's up to players. It's a personal decision. Some may not want to do it and doesn't mean they're racist. They just don't want to be doing the particular gesture. Do you think there's a danger that it ends up being quite divisive in the dressing room? Does it cause tensions within teams? No, not at all. Not at all. In fact, if everyone thought the same way, we would be living in a very dangerous society. Yeah. I think diversity of opinion and input into all of these conversations it, it is fundamental to having deep, meaningful discussion and making progress. What do you think needs to be achieved for, for players to, to be able to stop doing it? There needs to be a, a change of the whole structure in and around racial abuse and discrimination in the game. Until there, there is governmental input into how social media polices what what goes on on their platforms, I believe these players will continue because they understand that, yes, they want to make change for themselves, but they are also in a position where they can influence change for wider society. Hmm. And for you, you know, you say your father had to shield you from a lot of racism that was going on in the world around you as you're growing up and luckily you didn't have to see it how do you feel life will be for your children will things be better for them these children are incredible you know i feel like they have a a greater understanding of inclusivity of diversity and if i am Blatantly, you know, honest. I think if you just sacked everybody in a governance role and replaced them with a representative body of people who were age 30 and under, I think we'd have a far more harmonious society, a far more ethical society. My generation, I need to get up to the pace and close our mouths and open our ears. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Manveen Rana, and my guest, former professional footballer, pundit, and mental health consultant, Clark Carlyle. The producers today were Oliver Adamson and Joe Shanchana. The executive producer is Poppy Damon, and sound design was by John Nichols. If there's a story you'd like us to look into, any ideas for future episodes, or if you'd like to get in touch with any thoughts on what you've just heard, then do drop us an email to storiesofourtimes at thetimes.co.uk. And if you enjoyed this episode, then please do leave us a review. It'll help others to find it. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow. <laughs>